your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Tuesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. We had to think for a minute because the NASCAR race took over the show yesterday. But on the show today is Mike Ford. He is the Associate Professor of Public Administration for the University of Wisconsin, Oshkosh. So we're calling over to Oshkosh. Mike, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm good. I appreciate you coming on. It's it's uh, kind of funny that you were willing to come back on the last time I had you on. We just all we did was talk about you know chancellors at UW Lacrosse uh, recording pornographic videos with his wife and other porn stars. And I'm like, hey, the guy I've never talked to you before. Do you want to talk about this thing that I've never experienced? Really, uh, let's do it. And you were like, yes, absolutely. I I don't know if your wife was questioning. Uh, your enthusiasm there or anything like that, but. <laughs> well, happy to join you, and I'm very happy to be talking about something else. Yeah, we'll, we we are not going to talk about Joe Gao and pornographic videos. Uh, we're probably kind of, I mean, we're sticking with education, though, but more along the lines of, of actual education in terms of, well, I, I don't know, it's still about making money in education, right? <laughs> That's what Joe Cow is trying to do. You know, there's a whole school of thought that money doesn't matter in K-12 education. And certainly there's a point where you get diminishing returns, but you cannot run a school without paying the teachers and without paying the bills. So money yeah. certainly does matter. Yeah, and I, I kind of gave you very, very Rick Cliff notes. So Rick notes? Cliff notes. Who's Cliff anyway? I gave you some Rick notes on the lacrosse school district since COVID, and I've, I'm sure I'm sure I missed a bunch of stuff, but it was like, we want to build a new high school. Then the community yeah. takes the referendum says, you know, bleep that. We're not doing that. And then it's it's kind of been back and forth. We've closed one School, so I want to talk about that in a way too, uh, just where the Lacrosse School District is, and, and use your expertise um, in a way that you can kind of help explain as the school district, the school board now says, "Hey, we're going back to referendum." We're like, oh, great, let's ask the community again to, uh, you know, build a new school. Essentially, I think that's uh, that's where we're at. But before we do that, um, I I think I think we got to start the conversation. With the state's budget surplus, does this make sense? We didn't pregame this at all. Like, I feel like we could talk about the budget surplus that's around seven billion dollars again, and then yep. can we can can we use as essentially my idea is can we use the budget surplus to fund schools, and then we wouldn't have to worry about any of this stuff. We don't have to go to the referendum all the time unless communities still want to go to referendum, but. Um, does that make sense? Do we do we start with budget surplus and work our way down to uh, public education and voucher schools? Well, there, there's certainly a logic to it. As you mentioned, there's about a $7 billion um, surplus. And all that really means is that the state has been bringing in more money through the income tax, both personal and corporate, and the sales tax than it's been it's been spending. Every budget's a bit of an estimate, and uh, thus far we've gotten yeah, more revenue coming in. So we have this, this pot of money there. And one of the things that's really important uh, when you have a surplus like this is you don't want to spend it on ongoing operating expenses. So to your referendum question, I think there's certainly a logic to spend it on some of these capital referendums, like building a new building, yeah. things that are one-time expenses. I wouldn't recommend uh, spending it on operations because then you're going to end up in the next budget cycle without the money there, but you've already created the programming. So what do you do then? Okay. And before we get to the budget surplus and we're just, before we go to break here, I think we got two minutes. We can do this real quick. 
uh, Republicans, uh, is the Republican plan in the state legislature to kind of tap into this budget surplus in a way that's repeating in in a tax cut plan that, you know, if the budget surplus doesn't uh, balloon like this every whatever couple of years, uh, we might be in a budget deficit because they're trying to do a tax cut plan that will eat into this budget surplus. Yeah, I I think you're right on that, right? There's certainly a logic to um, trying to refund the surplus to taxpayers. But when you do it through a tax cut, that's a a permanent thing. That's a policy change. So you do run the risk of having that tax cut there that costs money, less revenue coming in, and then you end up in the next budget cycle not having uh, that that revenue. And then you're in, um, yeah, you're in a structural deficit phase, which is a problem. Um, I'll throw this out at you real quick. I live in Minnesota. We had a $17 billion budget surplus. I don't know if you know that. Um, I did know that. And I think, I think we used some of it. I got, a, I got a rebate check back from my state because of that. It was like $230. But the state legislature didn't – I have no idea how this works. Whatever. I'm just going to say they didn't approve it in time, and therefore the federal government is taxing my tax rebate, which is – tax surplus money. Oh my goodness. So you're, uh, yeah, you're getting double taxed there. Um, right. yeah, you want to get the, you want to get the logistics, right? Everyone, right. Government with $7 billion, there's going to be a lot of ideas out there. A lot of ideas that play well politically, but you got to be careful about what the actual repercussions and logistics are. So you don't run into situations like you just described in Minnesota. Am I literally like my tax money that I was, I gave it to the state and the feds or whatever. And then they gave it back, and then Fed said, "No, we got to. We want. We want some of it. It's. Just, I can't even wrap my mind around it. They. They tax yeah. my tax rebate. What? Shows up as income. <laughs> uh, if it's considered income, I guess they can do that. That's pretty wild. Yeah, it's uh, infuriating. So, and also like two hundred thirty dollars is is nice, I guess. But if you just average it out to per month, I guess it's. I guess it's a Netflix sub- subscription or something like that. But. <laughs> Um, All right, we're going to talk about how we got a budget surplus in Wisconsin, $7 billion, and, you know, some of the things we could use it for. And then we're going to work that that way, our way down to the La Crosse School District, Um, maybe a referendum, maybe going back to referendum, or maybe we could bypass them. Hey, the state legislature, budget surplus. Uh, Let's let's do that. We'll be back with Mike Ford, associate professor of public administration at UW Oshkosh in a minute. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Mike Ford is the Associate Professor of Public Administration at UW Oshkosh. Joining me this hour, we're talking about the state's budget surplus that we've been sitting on. And you could correct me if I'm wrong, but we've kind of been sitting on this for two years, right, Mike? We have. We've had this for quite a while right now. Uh, is uh, how I don't know. I, I do you have a like a history of this? How long have we sat on you know a billion dollars even in budget surplus? We just sit on it forever. <laughs> you know, I wish I had the specific, the specific date that it started, but it's been it's been a few years, and I do think we've seen um, you know post post COVID some some increase in revenue, some increase in economic activity that has uh, has fed into this, and I think we continue to see the surplus sitting there. Uh, because we got partisan politics in our state, and no one can quite decide what they want to do with these funds. Ah, but we won't have partisan politics after November, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think we still will. Oh, never okay. Never... We we didn't solve that problem with uh, new maps that are coming uh, in November. And um, okay, so what I was what I was saying though, Mike, is we've had a, the the budget surplus. So I want to just I'll just say I think two Januarys ago. That's when 
Um, we had this yeah. projected $3 billion budget surplus. So two Januaries ago, that was the talk. Before that, it was, oh, no, we're going to have a budget deficit. And then it just like, I think people just stayed home and bought crap on Amazon. And 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 I guess that's a good place to start. How did we get yeah. a budget surplus? Yeah, well, every every two years, you're predicting the future. So the, the budget is basically an attempt to try to, to match plan spending with uh, planned revenues. And certainly the planned revenue is going to be a function of the economic cycle, level of economic activity, and expenditures are going to be tied to program usage. So I think we hit this perfect storm where there was more economic activity than we anticipated and uh, less government spending and less participation in some government programs than we anticipated. So it's a long way of saying that we uh, tried to predict the future and we were a little off. Yeah, and um, what I want to say during COVID... This is going way back. I believe the state legislature just sat on its hands for for like 18 months and literally didn't pass any legislation. So we were talking about like, and maybe that was playing it safe as everyone was trying to play it safe, but we just didn't pass any yeah. legislation. We, we fought some legislation, I think, uh, in terms of like staying home or whatever, um, but we didn't pass any legislation. But then like to try to predict coming out of COVID, I get it. Maybe if we were the Milwaukee Bucks, we would fire that coach that predictor of the budget surplus and then hire another one, you know, and then oh, we yeah. would fire that coach two months later and then we would hire another one. Uh, we, that's probably where we're at. How is the predictor doing? Are we doing okay now? Because the first predictor wasn't very good. He said yeah. budget deficit and we got 3 billion in budget surplus only off by at least $3 billion. Well, yeah, well, I think we're in a, we're in definitely in a more stable and more predictable time um, as, as we're over that, that massive uh, COVID disruption. But right now, the problem is, is politics, where you have both Republicans and Democrats pushing very different uh, plans for the budget surplus. And the one area where I do think there seems to be some common ground is child care. If you look at the recent Republican uh, bills of what to do with the surplus, part of it was extending the um, child care expense credit. Um, while Governor Evers in his state, state address talked about expanding child care funding. So even though they're, they're proposing different ways of getting at it, that's the one area where I would expect to perhaps see some common ground on what to do with that surplus. Well, if we get to if we get back to that, I'd just say we instead of K through twelve public education, we just make it child care through twelve public education, uh, and, yeah, we, and we solve uh, all of that as, as long as we got seven billion dollars to play with. There's a logic to that, but once again, remember seven billion dollars now. Once it's spent, yeah. it, it's spent. So if you create new ongoing uh, child care programming, that's going to have to have a funding source after this budget cycle are we worried about okay so the the budget surplus the first prediction three billion the second prediction mm-hmm. was seven billion and then we sh- we did a shared revenue plan and i think maybe we funded the brewer stadium a little bit with budget surplus though i still feel like milwaukee county is paying taxes and the state is paying taxes on that so i'm not quite sure why we didn't just throw 500 million dollars at the brewer stadium from the piggy bank and then and then the budget surplus again predicted at seven billion. Can't we just kind of expect that it's going to keep this pace? Well, I, I no. If you look at the most recent um, estimate from the Legislative Fiscal Bureau, which is the uh, the organization that serves the legislature that does these estimates, you have to add nonpartisan to that before you you have to right. You have to say nonpartisan Legislative Fiscal Bureau. Yeah, Otherwise, people they are absolutely, <laughs> absolutely nonpartisan. And uh, they're they're the poor the poor folks that have to go ahead and, and run the numbers on any crazy idea any legislator has. But their numbers do show uh, at the end of the current budget, so 2025, they expect that surplus to only be about three billion. So um, we know that number is is going is going down. Okay, um, 
is that three billion yeah. because we did a shared revenue deal, or is it because economic spending is slowing? Right? Did we did we get a budget surplus? I've talked to Adam Murphy, uh, who comes on my show once a month, about this quite a bit. Yeah. Did we get a budget surplus because, like I said before, a lot of people are buying from Amazon, buying buying goods, buying stuff. We're not going to hotel. I don't know. Maybe we get budget surplus money from going to hotels and stuff. <laughs> Um, or flying or something, but we're not going on vacation. We're buying physical things. And, and the, the corporations that, you know, make money on that are getting taxed more and more on that budget surplus. So what I'm getting at is are the big businesses paying their fair share in taxes and therefore we're getting a budget surplus. Well, I think the, I mean, the, the bigger, I mean, right. The bigger reason that we're seeing this estimate go down is just that um, the LFB the nonpartisan fiscal bureau <laughs> anticipates tax revenues going down compared to the previous estimate. So that just means less economic activity. So it's not an issue of what the tax rate is. Let's say for the, for the corporate income tax, that rate is still exactly the same, but if we're anticipating less economic activity, less overall spending coming into the state. Okay. That makes tax. sense. So the, the other half of that I was wondering though, is the shared revenue deal taps into that budget surplus. Therefore, then, oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like that—that that budget surplus. We're, we're you, our government spending is higher, right? Oh, correct. Right, we're bringing in right these, these major sources of general purpose revenue. That's exactly what it sounds like. That's the money that we're spending on basically everything that we have have control over, unrestricted um, revenues. So, anytime we're putting more money into programming like shared revenue, that means less uh, less of that money in the general purpose revenue pot, and that's where the surplus sits. So, you are correct. Okay, so, I, but I don't know if that shared revenue deal, and if anyone doesn't understand what the shared revenue deal it was, essentially communities across the state just got a little bit more money uh, from yep. from this from this surplus. But just in general, our taxes are more so going to communities across the state. I think Lacrosse got about a million dollars. We saw a lot of smaller communities get, you know, I, I guess percentage wise, they got a lot more money than like Lacrosse. Uh, it's kind of a drop in the bucket for the city, um, but. But I don't know. Did it did it amount to four billion dollars? <laughs> oh, not four billion dollars. But it is it, it is significant and it is ongoing because part of the shared revenue bill was to index future increases in shared revenue to total sales, um, so total changes in the sales tax in the state of Wisconsin. So that is an ongoing expense as well. So mm-hmm. that certainly does play into this. That you had to put some money into it right away, but then you have to anticipate more spending on local government moving forward. The other end of the shared revenue deal, I like to just bring it up every time, is the uh, legislature added that communities can no longer put questions on the ballot to just ask communities what their thoughts are on things like, hey, marijuana, do you like it or not? Um, so just Correct. adding no that, more advisory referendum. Kind, of an, kind of an aside, but um, yeah. And Okay, so does the state legislature kind of have to, I mean, the shared revenue deal is good and it tapped into the budget surplus, I think, or just the ongoing surplus in a way. Is it very baby steps? Could they go, okay, you know what? We could do this shared revenue deal a little bit more because it's still a $3 billion budget surplus. And also, I think they they kind of baby stepped their way into the first round of shared revenue and communities certainly like it. Or Or plan B for me would be, public public education and we can get to that in the bottom half of the show but like eh, we could we got to use this budget surplus in a way but you wanted to do, you want it to be like one time spending huh well i think i mean that's the most responsible way to do it and this is the budgeting professor in me um if you if you start a new program and you don't have a funding source beyond this year or the next 2 years you're setting yourself up for a uh, budget deficit next time around 
Okay, so with that, Republicans are proposing a tax cut plan. They like to call it a tax cut plan. Uh, and then they like to add middle class in there. I don't know if it is a middle class tax cut. I guess de- determining wh- wh- who you think is a middle class person. Uh, is their tax cut plan one of those? That's kind of dangerous, too, because this budget surplus, you know, it's the prediction has gone down by over half. Yeah, it certainly can be because that's that's a policy change. So that tax cut is going to be there. And a tax cut, that means less revenue coming to government, um, more more revenue staying in your pockets. Now, the other the other side of that coin and people in support of the tax cut would argue that the idea is to stimulate economic activity. So you're growing the entire uh, pie uh, via that tax cut. But whether that happens in practice, that remains to be seen. Um, article on it came out last week, uh, the tax cut would be like about 1.4 billion per year. So that's exactly what yeah. the prediction is for the budget surplus, right? 3 billion ish. Yeah. So it would be, yeah. And I'm sure that's how they, how they index those numbers. And that's certainly a nice, uh, nice talking point politically. But that's, uh, that's walking the line pretty close, right? Like now we've used all of our budget surplus to the, almost right at, to the, to the mark. This this is true, and one of the things that always impacts the budgetary process um, during the biennium, so because it's a two-year budget, is unexpected. I mean, the pandemic was the big one. Obviously, no one anticipated that, but even just a, your typical uh, recession that might occur as part of the economic cycle, an economic downturn, that could really have, a, have, a, have an impact and force us to rethink any of these uh, budgetary decisions we make. What do you think of the tax cut plan? I'm, I, is, it's, it's raising the second bracket to people who make like $150,000 a year, it is not doing anything. When you talk about economic growth or um, giving people more money and then they turn around and spend that money, um, when we give it to people that are making 150 grand, are they turning around and spending that money on crap or are they investing it where that wouldn't come back to be a benefit for the state? Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't have a definitive answer to that question, but on average, um, the fiscal bureau said it would be about 454, additional dollars per filer in your pocket. So certainly, right, some people are going to save that money. Some people may spend that money. Yeah. Um, but it, it does, yeah, I mean, it takes it takes some estimates and some some hope, I think, to generate the economic activity that uh, those uh, proponents of the tax cut are arguing for. That figure never works for me. 450, that's the average. Now I want to this do it for everybody that every $20,000, you know, like, like give me the give me the chart that says uh, it's a this much for somebody that makes twenty grand, this much for someone that makes forty grand, and I think those people are cut out because they're not even part of the tax cut. It starts at yeah. like what thirty eight thousand or something like that. Correct, correct. correct. Uh, you know, so somebody that makes like forty grand, you know, what what is their cut of the tax cut? Because it's probably kind of hilarious. Oh yeah, it's going to be a lot less. And and the other, I mean, the other component of this too, and why I keep I keep going back to this idea that it's a policy change, that it's a lot harder to take something like this away once it's been given to people. So if you've raised, you know, lowered people's people's taxes by by raising that second tax bracket to to more higher income earners, so I guess one hundred fifty thousand, however you want to define mm-hmm. that, um, it's going to be really hard for a future governor, future legislature to try to backtrack on that. I, uh, that's important to understand too. I think you just exposed the plan, Mike. You just exposed. <laughs> that wasn't my intent. No, you exposed the scheme. We're getting new maps, and 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 they're supposed to be Republican leaning in a way where the Republican would Republicans would still control the legislature. But Republicans are going to get Evers to sign this tax cut plan, and then it's going to take Wisconsin into a budget deficit. 
And then the Democrats are going to take over the state legislature and Evers will still be governor. And then there's going to be a huge hole in the budget deficit. And then the Democrats are going to have to raise taxes. And then the Republicans will win the next election sweeping everywhere. Well, I can tell you, anytime you have a deficit, there's only two things you can really do, and it's uh, it's it's raise taxes or cut services, and the public tends to not like either of those options. Right, definitely. So, great scheme. R- way to expose them, Mike. I'm, I'm sure that was you, what you cut out. Uh, you were cut out to do when you when you agreed to come on. I have now pitted you against all the Republicans in the legislature. Uh, we could talk about Joe Gao if you want. If you want to go back to that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Leave Joe alone. Um, all right. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. But now we're going to talk about if what we should do with the budget surplus in a way that maybe could could we use it in the education forum? Also, I'm going to make Mike explain uh, voucher schools, how the state pays for vouchers. You tell me if you're like you give me the no, no, no. If this is if I'm getting this wrong, but uh, Mike's going to try to help us ex- uh, help explain um, how how the state is paying for voucher schools. Also, the state legislature has got a committee hearing on a different way to pay for it. Right, Mike? They do. It okay. just came out of the education committee, uh, a change. Okay, we'll talk about that when we come back. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. I'm Rick Sillum. On the phone with me this hour is Mike Ford, hopefully. You there, Mike? Yep. Okay. I am here. <laughs> well, i got to do some fly. Uh, with a live board, I don't have any uh, wiggle room here. So Mike Ford is an associate professor of public administration at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Couple well, a couple months ago, I feel like uh, the the first time I ever talked to him, uh, just out of the blue, I got somebody to to say this this might be something that that Mike would be able to talk about when UW Lacrosse Chancellor Joe Gao got fired for uh, creating pornographic videos with his wife and porn stars, uh, or I should say, like uh, he was creating uh, food food videos i guess it's <laughs> just like was, cooking uh, yeah, vegan vegan cooking, cooking uh, right cooking <laughs> and, it, was, and, uh, it was a very unique um, market he was going after yeah and mike was will- i don't know why he was willing to come on but he was definitely willing to come on and kind of help explain some of that i guess i, I don't think anyone is ever going to be able to explain or maybe it's too easy to explain but we're moving on from that but i like to just bring it up because it's funny um we were talking about the budget surplus before uh, the news break and how we got it and wh- some of the things, some of the ideas that we're looking to spend it on as a state uh, budget surplus. There's a tax break plan that's a little bit dangerous because it's an ongoing tax cut for uh, people making like un- 150 grand and, and under. And the tax cut plan just it kind of like leans towards the the upper, you know, those those people, higher earners. It doesn't do anything for for working class people. And and then another, I guess some other proposals are just kind of a shared revenue plan that the state passed. That was kind of a baby steps way of using some of the budget surplus. Uh, it didn't sound like we used a ton of the budget surplus to pay for the Brewer Stadium, though. That would have been a perfect one. Right, Mike? If we would have just said seven billion in budget surplus. I don't know if we have that. If it's in like, is it in a money bin somewhere like Scrooge McDuck? Like, where is the budget surplus? It's- yeah, it's just sitting in the the, the Manta governor's mansion, right? No, yeah. no, it's it's on the books, and right. That's I mean, that's a good example of the type of project, an infrastructure project, um, that's that's going to be a one time expenditure. But there is the question of of equity, and what I mean by that, um, this pot of money is being paid for by taxpayers all over the. It's coming from taxpayers all over the state, so mm-hmm. you do want to make sure that it's spent on something that's going to have a positive impact statewide. Um, and whereas I may love the Brewers and love baseball, I, I get that there are some communities that are further from Milwaukee that don't quite understand the uh, the benefit of the uh, public spending there. 
Yeah, I think most of the public doesn't doesn't understand that in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. I think I would say maybe some diehard Brewer fans are like, yes, we this is it, it, they we've got it in our heads that this is the way we keep the Brewers, and we've got it in all of our heads. The Buffalo Bills, yeah. are getting the the city of Buffalo to pay like two billion dollars for a new stadium. So I guess oh, I know. I guess I'm, I, I'm, I'm terrible with this stuff because at the end of the day, like the, all the studies out there show you that economically it's probably not worth it. But then the sports fan in me is like, yeah, build the stadium. Right. Yeah. Because they, all these, all these teams are like, we're going to leave. And you're like, yeah, well, oh, yeah. federally, I think, I think the federal government should just come out and say, Hey, no, no public money for private stadiums. Uh, and, and then only the Packers would be on the hook for, or, or only Wisconsin would be on the hook for the Packers. Cause I think they're the only stadium or only team in the, in the, in the country that does it that way. Yeah, well, they're yeah, they're a nonprofit, but even they, they had that uh, the Brown County sales tax. They were getting public revenue for that as well. Yeah, and then you can buy that sheet of paper that says you're an owner. They did that. Or you could just print one out and put it on your wall and <laughs> you pretend. That. that would be a weird <laughs> way. I, I, we always got that for my grandpa back in the day. That that whatever that is, and you know what? That would that would have been a good idea. We just like here you go, grandpa. <laughs> you're an owner again. Well, <laughs> Just Full disclosure, I'm a I'm a Bear fan, so that was something we used to make fun of Packer fans about. We didn't have you know the talent to make fun of you for not being uh, good because we yeah. are not as good as the Packers in football. But we had that. We had we had that ability to mock you for that one. So are you good. from like the Chicago area, or are you just like a weirdo I, that's a Bears fan? I no, I am. <laughs> I was born and raised in the Chicagoland area in okay. the suburbs, but I've been in Wisconsin now for twenty plus years. Yeah. So. I can get behind the Brewers, but Packers just can't get there. Oh, okay, that's weird because the Brewers. Well, the Brewers have been pretty good lately. Anyway, so uh, the in the the giving giving a you know billionaire owner money for for a stadium that I understand the the weirdness of it. The 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 state owns the stadium, so I don't know. Have I ever floated my idea, Mike? That I we sell the Brewers the stadium for a dollar. Here, have it. Hey. But then, it'd, well, it'd be interesting. I got to think that one through. See exactly what that would mean. Okay. Well, next time I have you on, we're gonna do we're gonna do a sport because I have a sports guy too. Who, like he used to teach at UWL, okay. and uh, this was okay. like he had a class that was just like sports economics. So Adam Hoffer is his name. Uh, so we'll, maybe okay. we'll have you both on to talk about it. But okay, back to the budget surplus. Um, yeah. And I got to work education in here a little bit. And if we have time, we're going to talk about why local elections are important and why local elections are getting more partisan as we uh, move forward. Um, the, the school district of lacrosse, the school board yesterday said, we're going to go to a referendum and build a new elementary school. And I don't know if they're going to close the two, they're going to merge two elementary schools and build a new one. Well, during COVID, the, the, the school district said, we're going to, we're going to consolidate because we have two many buildings by building a new building. And we're going to merge the two high schools and we're going to move all the lower grades up schools. So the two high schools would then become middle schools, and then the, all the high schoolers would go into this one hundred ninety-five million dollar building, which would have been awesome in a way. But obviously, like the price tag is huge. I don't have a price tag for this new elementary building, but again, we're going to referendum to pass something that it's going to be a burden on taxpayers to build a new elementary school. Also, we're consolidating by building a new building. Uh, can't we just can the state come in and say budget surplus? We got seven billion, we got three billion, whatever it is. Um, yeah. Would it would it work? Because every every school district in the in the state wants some money for something. Yeah, so that would be the devil would be in the details how you distribute those those funds. But if I were king, I mean that seems like a very logical, very logical idea that you have a pot of money here that can go towards um, capital expenses for school districts to try to offset some of these, some of these, these costs there 
forced to go to referendum for. And you're seeing now fewer and fewer of these referendums are passing. And that, that's a change in Wisconsin, where historically we've generally had a very high uh, passage rate. So, yeah, I think that's something that um, anybody that's a responsible budgeting person could get behind uh, because you're spending money on one-time expenses. Okay, so ongoing ones. this would be it would be hard because every school district is going to want probably something. Hey, we want a football field. Hey, we want a new auditorium. And then, you know, Correct. we would need a committee to decide who gets what. Right. Like that would. We, oh, yeah. we would oh, but but do we not already do this with the UW system? I mean, we, we do. It, it goes back to what I used to back in my my old days. I worked as a lobbyist and we called it print out politics where anytime you had any change to the education formula or even one-time funding like this, you're going to get that printout from the fiscal bureau that says, you know, what school districts, what municipalities are gaining revenue versus which uh, districts or municipalities are not. And that's when the politics really starts to come into play. Okay. So, yeah, I just, I, I feel like, yay, budget surplus. Let's get a list together of all the school districts and what kind of building needs they need. And then we rank yeah. them. We, we see who's in the biggest budget crunch. Um, on, on top of that, um, every school district, you're going to have to explain this to me. Every school district has to pay for voucher schools. So on top of just paying public education money through property taxes, um, taxpayers in the school district are also paying if they have, is this how it works? If I have a voucher school in my district, I am paying students to go to that school instead of the public school. Is that how that works? So it's actually tied to where, where a student lives. So the statewide voucher program is funded through an aid reduction to the resident school districts. So, for example, I'm in Oshkosh here. If, if my kids um, were to qualify, it's means tested. If they were to qualify for the voucher program and they attended one of these private schools, um, that tuition would be paid through an aid reduction to their home district, which in my case would be Oshkosh. And then what happens is the school district is allowed to raise uh, property taxes to offset that aid reduction. So at the end of the day, what's really happening is uh, you're not losing funds that are actually geared toward the classroom because of the voucher program, Mm -hmm. but you are having a property tax increase to fund kids that live in that resident school district that are using the voucher program. All right. And the, you didn't say it, but it's the nonpartisan legislative fiscal bureau. They're crunching these numbers. Correct. Correct. They All put right. out an informational paper, a list of every of every school and every district, and what the aid reduction is. All right. So in the Lacrosse School District, taxpayers are paying one and a half million dollars in property tax levy increases for students to go to Aquinas and uh, in a first evangelical Lutheran school. Correct. So, do I or have that? They're going to any of the neighboring schools. Or, that is correct. Okay. Yeah, their aid, their aid reduction, which is offset by a property tax increase, is about one point five million. Okay, so one. Okay, so Lacrosse School District taxpayers are paying one and a half million dollars, and it doesn't necessarily go to a certain school. It's the student in whatever school, so they could be going to like on Alaska correct. Luther or something like that. Um, any correct. other voucher correct. school. Um, so so there is a committee hearing in the legislature. I saw this on your Twitter to pay for voucher schools differently. So because I feel like if people understood, oh, lacrosse school district taxpayers are paying one and a half million dollars in their property taxes to send kids to voucher schools, maybe we would have a problem with that if we were better understanding of it. Um, But also like, oh, maybe two people, too many people are catching on. We got to change the system. Oh, yeah. So so a couple of things. When the the statewide program started back in 2014, it was was capped, I think, at one percent of public school enrollment. So it was a really small really small amount. So even though it was funded this way, it didn't, it wasn't huge, but as the program's grown and it's geared to have the cap totally eliminated, uh, the number of kids using it has gone up to, I think about 18,000 in the state. 
at this point. So mm-hmm. those local property tax impacts are becoming pretty apparent. So the state assembly, and it just passed through the assembly education committee, is trying to change the funding. So 100% of the cost of new students using the voucher program come from general purpose revenue, which is that, that big state fund. That's where the surplus is. That's where all the money is, uh, rather than being on the local property tax. And that's already a change that's occurred in the Milwaukee voucher program. They have their own program there. So that, that seems to be the, the long-term goal to, to take that off the property tax rolls and put it on 100% general purpose revenue. All right. So we're back to square one where we're paying for long-term ongoing expenses while we have a budget surplus. But if we don't have a budget surplus forever, then that wouldn't work, right? This is true. If you don't have a budget surplus and, and the ex- right, estimated expenditures are higher than your estimated revenues, you have a structural deficit, meaning you got to either cut something or find a new revenue source. So do we know who like proposed this bill? Because I like to just make it partisan. Is it a Republican bill because it's voucher schools and Democrats would never uh, propose something like this? Or is it a Democratic bill because it's a better way of paying for it without property taxes? Yeah, it was proposed by uh, Republicans. And I believe, don't quote me on this, but it passed the Committee on Education 10 to 5. And I think that was a, a partisan uh, partisan okay. vote. Along party so lines, guessing, that's the cool way to yeah, say that. So I'm, I'm guessing this won't be this won't be signed um, this time around, but right. I would suspect come budget time that this is one of those areas where I, I'd expect to see some movement. All right, so Republicans could go, "Hey, we're lowering your property taxes, and we're Correct. tapping into the budget surplus." Sounds great, right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, now. <laughs> you know, Democrats, not to get too partisan, but I mean, this has been a major, a major anti-voucher talking point recently that, hey, there's a large amount of your property taxes that are going uh, to pay for these private schools to fund mm-hmm. this, what they call a separate system. So I do think that there is like everything in Wisconsin, there's a partisan political angle here. Okay. So this is funny. What if Democrats just propose the same model to pay for public education and then people's property taxes would go way down, wouldn't they? The property taxes would go way down, but you'd have to, you know, you'd be taking the, the cost of, and here, we'll, we'll take a look at lacrosse. I was just looking at these numbers. I okay. think the lacrosse said 38% uh, of their operating budget for the lacrosse area school district or whatever it's called mm-hmm. is funded through the property tax. So that, that chunk of money in every school district would be moved towards general purpose revenue under that, that model, which means that you're going to have more funds coming from the state sales tax, corporate and personal income tax. Okay. So again, someone someone's got to pay for it. So it'll it'll change the distribution of taxes, but someone will still have to pay for it. But it is kind of funny. This is the argument I've I've made this argument in the past is like we got to stop paying for schools based on property taxes because people that live in rich neighborhoods then have better schools because their property taxes are higher, and poorer neighborhoods get worse schools because the property taxes are lower. And if we just did this as a state, we're just like, hey, as a state, as a community statewide, we're going to pay for public education. That's what Republicans are proposing, but only for their, quote unquote, their schools. Well, it's fascinating because the so historically, the, the idea of uh, the education aid formula was it's equalization aid, meaning that the, the wealthier you are um, as a school district, so the property values in your school district, um, if you're wealthier, you are more reliant on the property tax. And the idea is you get less in state aid and then vice versa. And the whole point is to make sure that um, districts are not being penalized because they're low income, uh, that they're not able to raise that local property tax revenue. But we've seen in the past 10 years or so um, less uh, less money actually being put into the aid formula and instead an array of these 
kind of add-on categorical aids, and now I'm boring the audience with this. <laughs> That's all right. But bottom line is we've gotten further and further away from this idea of trying to balance the uh, the ability of districts to raise to raise revenue. So I think that's part of the uh, part of the issue here that we have an equalization aid formula that's really not equalizing things anymore. Okay, um, I, I want to get to uh, school boards real quick, but before before I let you, you get the the one and a half million dollars the Lacrosse School District taxpayers pay for pay for voucher schools. Did that mm-hmm. number change after the state budget? Is that number updated, or is that number going to go up because the state budget added money to voucher schools? Yeah, that money will continue to that'll continue to go up if more more money per pupil is heading uh, to to uh, students using vouchers, and as more um, students are participating in those programs, that money that amount will keep going up every year. So, in a way, when more kids go to voucher schools, taxpayers in those communities are kind of doubling up, like they're paying twice as like the, I don't know if twice as much, but they're just paying more, right? Because because the property tax money is still the same in terms of public education, but also now it's extra to go to voucher school. Correct. There's an aid reduction that's used to fund these, okay. these students, and that's that's offset through property taxes. So that, that is correct. The property taxes go up to pay for it. All right. Um, one more thing. The school board, we have uh, three yeah. open seats here. Now, a couple of years ago, like I mentioned before, we had a uh, we're a plan to build a hundred ninety five million dollar high school. The, the The community voted seventy percent down on that on a referendum, and we had eight people run for school board last time for three seats, and so it was very important. Like people wanted to be on the school board, and it was a little contentious. There was there was some controversy, and I, we don't need to get into it. But this time around, as the school district closed the building, is talking about closing two more buildings, and now is talking about building or building a building and going to referendum with it. The school board has three open seats and, and three people are not running. So that's why they're open. They're not rerunning for school board, including the school board president. And we only got two candidates. Is that, are, are you baffled by that? The fact that we, we didn't even get enough candidates. And also just so, as, a, as an aside, the writing candidate for the school board, because now we will have an actual writing candidate. The winner of the writing campaign, uh, the last couple of times has been Donald Trump. Oh, geez. Interesting. <laughs> So I'm not, I'm not, so I'm not totally surprised. Um, it's been a few years, but I, I did a, a big survey, a national survey of school board members uh, back in like 2014. And one of the things I found was that 40% of school board members in the United States say they didn't have an opponent in their last election. So there's a significant number of school board members that did get into that seat without having to win an election. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the last three or four years, there's really been a lot more attention paid uh, to school board races. And in, in cities, medium-sized cities and suburban areas, there tends to be a lot more uh, interest. So I am pretty shocked that lacrosse only has only has two running for three. That seems pretty unique. Yeah. Also, one of them running is an 18-year-old Central High School student. So literally a student is, is it, it not only running, unless by some weird miracle a writing campaign takes out the two candidates that are on the ballot, uh, yeah, so he's yeah. going to be on the school board. So we have a student in there. I don't know how. I don't know how uh, often that happens. That's fascinating. It it does happen, and I've I, I only know this from when I was crunching the data. I had five thousand survey responses, and there was a few. Or I'd look at the age, and they were yeah seventeen or eighteen years old, and think, wow, that's pretty amazing. And I figured it out there. Yeah, students that ran. Um, my my fear, and and I hope I'm wrong, is that. The last you know couple of years, school board races have gotten so contentious, so nationalized with interest groups that are you know either the state political parties or even national groups like Moms for Liberty come in 
that people just don't want to put themselves through that anymore. And that would be really scary because if you don't have good people um, out there uh, trying to govern their own school districts, well, someone's going to fill that vacuum and it's not going to be as democratic. So that, that's scary. Yeah, the last election we had some, I don't know if they're a national, well, like the 1776 project, or I think I might have yeah. the date wrong. We had them endorsing candidates and those candidates were like, we didn't ask for that. And I don't know how that works. Yeah. I feel like there should be some rules with, uh, you know, if I'm going to endorse you, you should actually uh, have to accept the endorsement before I go public with it. Well, I can tell you. So I, I, I moonlight as a member of the Oshkosh uh, Common Council as an elected official. And I've always been very vocal that I'm not taking any partisan endorsements or anything. So I have never gotten any. But I've had colleagues that had a similar situation where they didn't ask for it. But they show up on a flyer, a third party flyer with their name and it's some group telling telling people to vote for them. Um, so in reality, there's not much you can do aside from, you know, make a public statement disavowing it. Is there is there something like the legislature could do like, hey, if if uh, if that happens and you say you didn't want the endorsement, that group gets fined or is that just not realistic? You, you could. No, you, you could. You could. Right. You you said you said election laws, but you have this thing called the First Amendment, which um, <laughs> right with free speech rights. Uh, people tend not to want to legislators tend not to want to get involved um, at that at that level, especially when it comes to a democratic race. Yeah. Why? Why is the local elections getting more partisan? We see it. We see it here. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it seems to be like one group does a thing and then the other party is like, oh, you're OK. Well, then we have to. And then it's just a spiral. Well, I think there's a few things going on. One is it's certainly just national climate. And I don't know if you blame social media or whatever. I sound like an old, old middle-aged guy, which I am <laughs> uh, when I say that. But I do think that this, the nationalization of, of, of politics has, has creeped into the local level. I think in Wisconsin, you have a unique situation that'll be fun to watch. A rumor that because of the, the situation in New York and Trump not being able to run his businesses, he is going to move to the lacrosse school district. So he will likely be on the school board. <laughs> He could be on the school board. Well, you know what? I'd be there to study it. I study school boards a lot, and that would be one I'd want to do a case study on. Uh, all right. Mike Mike Ford is uh, the Associate Professor of Public Administration at University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. I feel like we didn't do enough on school boards, so I'll probably have to have you back. But, Mike, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks so much. No, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me.